0: If you have a Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 12. I'll have a drink. Romans chapter 12. Um, if, you're, if you're new to the Christian faith, you're wondering what, what's this all about? Well, we as Christians believe in the Bible. We believe it's not just a book or a textbook. We believe it's real. It's alive. And it, it's something that actually both uh, speaks to us and actually shapes us as well. Uh, And if you are new to the Christian faith, you can actually uh, grab a Bible, you can actually um, look at the very, very, very few, first few pages, a little thing called an index, and it shows you where this book of Romans is, and don't be embarrassed, just look up the page, or turn to the person next to you and say, hey, what's he talking about, where can I find this little letter called Romans? I'm going to read from verse 9, I'm just reading from the ESV version, whatever version you have in front of you is fine, Uh, let's read together. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, once again, if you're um, visiting Canterbury Gardens, it's a great privilege to have you here with us. Uh, we are truly blessed to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we as a church started a, a new series or a new preaching series last week. It's going to go over for seven weeks. Uh, and what we want to do is that we want to unpack a, a key thing. So as Christians, we believe in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. But the gospel is not just a one-time sort of message. It is something that continues to shape and change us. We want to unpack what does it actually mean. If this gospel is true, how does it actually shape how we live? Uh, last week, we wanted to unpack what does it mean to be both salt and light, but not just individually, but as a community, as people of um, followers of Christ. Now, if you have one of these little books in front of you, uh, and if you are a sermon note taker, if you turn to page 51, you can actually open it up and you can take uh, any sermon notes either to keep yourself awake or uh, to take any notes that might stick out to you. Um, Today we want to actually explore a particular topic and that topic what we want to explore is to think about this idea that if there is such a thing as genuine Christian love, genuine Christian love, if that is true, how does that cultivate unity in the body of Christ but then it bears witness to the world that's watching, watching all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Uh, in this book, it's called, the chapter is called A uh, United Church in a Divided World. Uh, if you, uh, I'm not sure if you've looked at this book during the week, but uh, every chapter has a little section which has what's called daily devotions. I would encourage you, take the time to do those daily devotions. I've found it helpful for myself personally, and what we're going to be doing is spending some time looking at uh, one of the passages that it talks about in the daily devotions. That's from Romans 12. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it's alive and active even now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle our hearts and minds, that you would speak the words of truth. May we walk away knowing you more, Lord God, not just knowing you, but actually living out these truths through the power of your Spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, when we read something like Romans 12, and we look at those particular verses, it's very easy for us to jump into it and think about, oh, this is all about just doing some things. But before we get, get to this idea of what are those verses are really about, and, and, and they are um, commands, we want to actually understand about how do we actually get, in some sense, to Romans 12. See, um, if you are uh, new particularly to the Christian faith, or if you're exploring it, uh, Romans is probably one of the most um, richest and most deepest um, uh, truth of the gospel that is unpacked over the whole book of Romans. If you've never read Romans, I would encourage you, I will implore with you, if you're wrestling with what is the Christian faith about, spend some time reading Romans. I mean... uh, Romans is where you start seeing the truths of understanding that the, the gospel is so active, so real, that it, there's so much wisdom in it. That it actually drives our relationships and how we interact with each other. Romans is where we're reminded there is actually, we're under judgment, under the wrath of God, and God brings hope through Jesus Christ. Romans is where we're reminded of what, is it actually um, have the gospel shape our character? Romans is where it starts thinking through not just living out the gospel, but living ethically. What does it mean to reason these truths out in our daily life? So this truth of Romans, if you have never read it, I'd encourage you to take time. There's some deep doctrines that we talk about often in our Christian faith. There's actually most of it come from Romans. A good mate of mine uh, told me uh, his pastor, the church that he grew up in, uh, he grew up in a church, he knew all about Christian faith, He was one of those missionary kids. He thought he knew it all. And his pastor challenged him to write out Romans. So take the time each day to write out a chapter. At the end of writing Romans, he actually realized that he wasn't a Christian and he came to Christ. It's a wonderful book. I would encourage you to take time into it. Now, we explored where, how the church in Rome started. We saw that in the book of Acts. We saw how Paul came and he planted. There was a house church that started, and there was the remnants of Christians still already there, and this, is, this truth is continually being written to them. So Paul is engaging with them. Now, like I said, before we jump straight into this, we want to lay a foundation, and that foundation is to understand and remind us of the story of God, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you understand, this world didn't just, just pop up one day. God created this world. He formed this world. And in this world, he actually placed us, the human beings, to be in relationship with him. There was a united relationship with God, the creator, and humans. Then The Bible reminds us in Genesis 3, that temptation comes into the world. The first humans are deceived, and they fall into that temptation. And then there's division between God and humanity. But then this division continues and corrupts everything in life. And what happens is humans are prone and built for worship. They give themselves to worshiping other things than God. And ultimately, in some sense, they worship themselves. But see, this is the good message of the gospel. This is the good message of a God who loves the world, the cosmos. And even those he has created, his image bearers. That because of a God, and the story of the Bible is constantly about a God who's relentlessly pursuing people who are saying, no, no, no. And he pursues them. And how his plan of reuniting in relationship with them is by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And in Romans 1, you have these famous verses that have probably in coffee mugs and probably somewhere hanging out in your wall, and says this in Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's how we come up to um, Romans uh, 12. Now, previously in the first few chapters, what Paul's been doing, he's been really laying the foundation even more and saying, this is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel has done. It's not actually about you doing something. It's what Jesus has done. And in light of that, you give yourself, you're in faith to him, and God opens relationship with you. And you are his child. And there's this truth throughout the first few chapters being reminded that it can only be done by faith alone. It's not of yourself, it is of God. God has done this. God has brought salvation. But this salvation also comes with this wonderful reality that there's this freedom that comes. There's freedom in that God brings freedom from the wrath of God. Not only that, there is freedom in that, there's freedom in relationship. God brings peace. God brings freedom from the law, the demands of the law. Not only that, God brings freedom in knowing. We talked about that earlier this morning, about the hope that we have. Freedom from death. Then he continues to go further. And he then says to them, listen, Before you lived in a world that said that, oh, well, there's the Jewish kind and then there's the Gentiles, the rest of the world, those who are of the Jewish faith and those who are non-Jews. Then Paul says to them, hey, listen, now, because of the gospel, there's no longer kind of this dividing line. You are now united. You are now one. So this is the kind of background that's going on. Paul reminds him again that this This language of the gospel now opens up even more. Wonderful reality of unity. No longer are we just someone who believes in Jesus, but we are actually now brothers and sisters. We actually become a family. A mixed up family from all different backgrounds, all different races. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, united. Then we come up to these verses in Romans 12. What Paul wants to unpack for them is to say, hey, if this is true in the first 11 chapters, now, this is what it should look like in your life. This is what should be flowing out of your life. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. What he's really talking about is not just some truths, but he's actually saying it's a lifestyle. This is something that is part of your DNA now, if you are a follower of Jesus. And this is why we come up to Romans 12, verse 9. Now, the first few verses, from verse 9 to 13, it's kind of like if you had a microscope and you're shining this microscope inside, in the inner side of your heart, your being. He's reminding this church in Rome, he's saying, if you're saying that you're a true follower of Jesus, if you believe in this gospel... These are the kind of things that should be going on. Now, how that's displayed is it starts internally. It's displayed internally in the local community that you're part of. But they're also in the Christian community. These are the characteristics that should be coming out of you. These are the things that should be shaping that you belong to Jesus. And in verses 14 to 21, it's like the camera. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, in a movie where the camera pans to somebody and then it pans out. And in the verse, next few verses from 14 to 21, it's like the camera pans out and says, well, in the first few verses, if this is true of you, now this is what it looks like as you live in a world that is against the gospel. To widen that circle. Every, I think every few years, usually when there's some sort of like um, a significant world tragedy or a significant world issue, um, a lot of music, musicians get together, particularly pop artists. They get together and they decide to make a song together. Many years ago they did the thing called We Are well, We Are the World, We Are the Children. And if you remember that one. I tried to look up some ones in the seventies, but I couldn't remember any. I'm sure those who grew up in that era can remind me of that. But there's all you know, all the artists get together and they sing a song to remind them. And it's almost like this thing of Most of the times, the usual themes that I've seen are something to do with love or something about we're all the same family. That's the kind of language that they use. Recently, uh, earlier this last month, a group by the name of the Black-Eyed Peas, if you've never heard of them, they're not a frozen pea brand, they released a song. And the song goes, Where is the love? Now, they released a song a few years ago. They re-released it. And if you've ever seen the video clip, you can Google it and stuff. It shows different images, particularly from Syria and all the things that are going around in the world and particularly in America and about the whole Black Lives Matter movement and all these things. They say some very controversial lines in there. And this is one of the lines. Now, if you're an English teacher, you'll have to calm down. What I'm about to say to you is not proper English. This is what the chorus says. People killing, people dying. Children hurting, I hear them crying. Can you practice what you're preaching? Would you you turn the other cheek again? Mama, 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 tell us what the hell is going on. Can we all just get along? Father, father, help us. Send us some guidance from above. Because people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? Then one of the other choruses a little bit further says, "Um, what happened to the love and the values of humanity? Where is the love? What happened to the love and the fairness and equality? Where is the love? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Where is the love? Lack of understanding, leading us away from unity. Where is the love? He's, a, he's a, just As far as I know, I don't think they have a Christian faith. They're asking a very... Um, Interesting question. And question throughout the whole song is, where is the love? They're making these statements. Now the song eventually goes to, oh, it's all inside of you. Somehow you can solve this. But their question still remains the same, I think. Where is the love in a divided world? I mean, they're asking, they're crying out, where is this love? But friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, If you believe in God, if you believe in the God of the Bible, when you and I hear words like that, people crying out, going, where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? Oh, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, something should stir in you. Something should stir in you as you hear that question. Because we know where is the love. We know that if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in God, we know that love is ultimately, beautifully, totally, 100% can only be found in God himself. I mean, we have these words in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. His very being is love. Now, when we think love, because in the world that we live in, we think of romance novels or The Notebook or those kind of evil movies. <sighs> Probably that's a bit harsh, sorry. Um, that's the kind of love that God is talking about. Not the romantic kind of love. There's many things we can say about that. Well, I, what I love is the, the, the way that God describes love throughout the Bible. You just read about his character. And one of the key things about God's character is what the Old Testament particularly calls the covenant love of God. This is the kind of love that says, I'm going to love you despite of what you do. I'm going to pursue you despite of what you do because I am love. I will continue to pursue you. Turn to me. I know what's best for you. Put your faith in me. I know what's best for you. Okay, you don't. I'm still going to pursue you. This is the God. This is the love that it's talking about here. And here are then... Paul wants to start off by saying, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Paul, I think, is making a very interesting point. He wants to make it very clear that uh, to start off with, to, to talk about all these things, we need to begin with this idea of let love be genuine. In the first few verses, he he makes it very clear that that's the foundation. Let love be genuine. Well, what does that genuine love look like? Well, here we go. This is what it looks like. This is what is driven by. This is driven by a love that is shaped by God first. That love now drives you to live in a particular way. So neither is it sort of a, just a religious kind of saying of do's and don'ts. Because religion either automatically leads you to sort of hopelessness and say, I can't do this, or it leads you to arrogance and say, I'm already doing this. I'm not like them. God's gospel genuine love says, hey, this is driven by God. And so when it's happening, the glory goes to him. Now, as you read those verses... After he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. For those of us who love lists, this is the kind of stuff that we look at these verses and go, hmm, now, what do I do here? Now, I want you to imagine, for those of us who love lists can automatically go, okay, let's do this. If I have a score from one to five, one being really bad, five being I'm awesome at this, on one column we write, genuine love, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, outdo one another, don't be spiritually lazy, rejoice in hope, be patient, love the saints, be hospitable to strangers. What we do is we look at that list and go, okay, hmm, I wonder how I'm going this week. Well, the hawk's lost. So I'm not actually feeling very much genuine love and I'm not really wanting to abhor evil. We may look at this list and go, let's get, go down that list and say, okay, I'm, today I'm a one, today I'm a five on this one. Friends, we've got to remember, first 11 chapters, the story of the gospel, as a reminder to us, is not about what we do. God doesn't accept us based on what we do. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're accepted in Christ. It's based on what Christ has done. But, is not just sitting back now and going, oh, I'll just sit back and just wait for Jesus' return. Now, God says, now, because of this truth in you, live this way. It's driven out of a genuine love. That's why Paul starts. That's why Paul says, this is much more than just saying, uh, yes, Jesus loves me, and because of that, now I just wait for him, and because Jesus just loves me. No, because of this genuine love in you, live this way. This genuine love is, is a marker. It's a marker for also the Christian community. A to the world that is constantly asking the question, where is the love? Where is the love? By God's grace, they should hopefully see it in a Christian community, living out this in genuine love. And this is a not sometimes kind of love. This is a genuine love that is displayed in these doing kind of terms 100% all the time. But done in faith through the power of the Spirit. Because even in the previous few verses, actually Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And he talks about the gifts that are gifts of grace. It's not something you achieve and earn. God's gracious gift has given that to you. And as this is the foundation, now, detests what is evil. The language there, the bore, whatever language or version you have there, it's like to say you hate it. You look at this evil and you go, that is not right. It goes even more deeper. It's not just about what you see. It's seeing the effects and the pain that evil brings. That you're moved by this genuine love to hate it and say so this is not the way God created it to be. This is not what it's meant to be like. See, genuine love doesn't just sit back and go, I'll wait for God. It moves to say, this is not right. This is wrong. This evil is now effect- affecting everything. And we move to action. And Paul then continues to say, well, you you say no to evil. You hate evil and the effects of evil. Now hold fast to what is good. It's like using idle language to say, you are super glued to what is good. You're clinging on to it. And that good is not just a, an external thing. It begins internally, then plays out externally. That good is the, the kind of language that God who is in you, who is working in you, who is shaping you, and in faith as you live this out. God is now saying that, cling on to what is good. He is good. Oh, church, can you imagine the kind of witness it will be a church that is genuinely shaped by this love that is hating evil that is super glued to what is good can you imagine the kind of witness that it will be and as we read this the question is we need to ask is that us as a church Friends, if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is not like an option. This is a command from God. And remember, once again, it's not just about trying to guilt you into this. This is to reminding: if this is true of me, if I believe in Jesus, my faith is in him, are these truths in me? Are, is this genuine love now being pushed to abhor what is evil, to hold to fast what is good? This is true of you. This is true of me at Canterbury Gardens. Because if it is true, or if it's not true, we have an opportunity to cry out to God to help us. But see, this genuine love is there to shape us, it's to play out and to make us live it out, but then it should drive us even further. Before we even uh, learn to love those who do not know Jesus, we need to understand genuine love now needs to also now be playing in a Christian community. Be living it out in a Christian community. Before we just go out and love our neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus, it should be displayed here. Where this Paul is starting off and says, Love one another with brotherly affection. He's specifically talking to the Christians there. He's saying, Don't fake this. This is what genuine love looks like. Genuine love looks like do you love one another with brotherly affection? Uh, a few years ago, my brother in law went to uh, Thailand and he came back with a present for me. And the present was this bag, and it was, I was so excited because it looked like one of those genuine Nike bags. And then I flipped it over and it said like on it with the same symbol as Nike, but it said like. It looks like a Nike bag, it feels like a Nike bag, it was probably made by the same people who make it for Nike, but it just said like. It's not the same thing, it's fake. Friends, this genuine love is not just some sort of superficial thing we throw around, I love you, brother. No, it is is shaping how you live and engage with one another. See, this genuine love now moves to hate what is evil, is hanging on to what is good, and then is displayed by loving one another in brotherly affection. It's now working out more into our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are showing kindness, and pray, practicing this faith, this gospel that's now shaping us. Now, I think Paul is not just saying to the Roman church there. And one of the biggest issues of that time was this sort of division between Jews and Gentiles that kept on coming early in the early church. And Paul is pushing to say, hey, it's not just to you guys in Rome, but remember, brotherly affection to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, who also believes in the same gospel as we do. Uh, Every couple of months, I have the distinct privilege, I have no idea how I got on there, uh, to join a group called the Gospel Coalition. Gospel Coalition is an evangelical um, ministry. Uh, They started in the States. They've started a Victorian um, group here, and I have the privilege to be on that committee. I have no idea how I got on there, but I'm sitting with men and leaders who I have read their books, and I've been in their classrooms, and I'm over overly overwhelmed most times there's this moment though that I'm always humbled so you have someone who's a Presbyterian who has a particular view on how end times works out how uh, baptism works out uh, and particular certain theological things you have a Baptist who also has a different view on how end times works out and how things like uh, to do with baptism works out you have someone like me trying to figure it out in between. And I'm listening to these two wonderful, godly men disagreeing with each other on an issue, in humility, but what drives them back is the gospel unity. It's the gospel unity that drives them back and says, this is the gospel we believe. We trust in this gospel, we believe in this gospel, we can sign off on this gospel together. And we appreciate each other's second... Secondary things, because it does not add to the gospel. Friends, do we show brotherly affection to those who are of the Christian faith? I mean, it's easy to show brotherly affection to people that are on the same theological page as you. It's easy to show brotherly affection of people who are of the same denomination as you. Do we show Christian affection to those who we may disagree with on certain specific issues but believe in the same gospel. This is the kind of love that Paul is saying to them, love one another with brotherly affection. Then he says, don't just love them in word, but love them in deed. Outdo one another. Outdo one another by showing honor to each other. By showing honor to each other. I don't know if that's a thing that Aussies can do. We tend to sort of Look at someone, we want to peg them down a few notches and then build them up again. But see, what Paul is talking about, honour them, don't backbite, don't gossip about them. This is the kind of language that he's using here. Friends, I think in our day and age, Paul's writing before social media and emails. In our day and age, there are moments where, uh, sometimes I feel like I should just turn it off, where i see on a Facebook feed where you have two people, who believe in the same gospel, who were going to spend eternity together with each other, but on a secondary issue, they decide to go at bat with each other and publicly having a go with one another, not in humility or grace, in arrogance and pride. And do you know who's watching? God's watching, but there are also those who don't know Jesus watching, going, What is this? What is this witness? What we're doing is much more than just having a discussion. We're actually, bear, we're actually causing effect to the witness of the gospel. It's much bigger than that. And that's what divides a church community. That is what divides uh, in a Christian community. When there is no reminder, once again, that we are called to be genuine, that we are called to abhor what is evil, that we are called to hold to what is fast, that we are to love one another with beverly affection and then outdo it by honoring one another both in our words, but also in our deeds. And Paul says, this is not an option. This is not an optional choice. In verse 11, and he drives that even further. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is the reason why you act in a particular way that God has called you to respond. You can't be lazy about this. You can't drag your feet. This is not an option. God calls you to do this. And don't do it out of obligation. Do it as if you're serving God. This is your motivation. This is why you serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why you honor them. This is why you hate evil. This is why you hold on to what is fast. And as you do this, you're actually bringing glory to God. And I think sometimes the reason why we may find this hard to do is we lose perspective. I think you mentioned earlier about... um, verse twelve and how verse twelve reminded her to not just rely on her feelings but look at what's going on. What is the truth? Rejoice. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. See friends, if we if we lose sight in knowing what is to come, that we have this eternal home, but not only that, what is the truth now in us? That Christ has given us hope. So much hope. That means we can actually Live as God has called us to. Starting with each other and then slowly playing out in our Christian walk. And that is driven by this idea of constant prayer. That language is not just a religious thing, it's to say, hey, you are dependent on the Father. Cry out to Him. He's a good God. He's a good Lord. He's your Heavenly Father who cares for you. Now, Church, I want you to imagine as you read this, our temptation is to read it just as an individual. Yeah, it begins there. But imagine reading it as a church community. As a church community is reading this, the question you need to ask is, have we lost hope? Have we lost our direction? Because if you want to know how a church gets divided, how disunity comes in a church or a community, they lose sight. They lose sight of the gospel. They lose sight of the hope. And the only remedy is to look back again and rejoice. Rejoice in this moment. Rejoice what Christ has done. But not only does this rejoice now bring hope, but this rejoice then that means in that trial, in that tribulation. I think Paul is connecting that to the verses after that, about persecution. But he's saying in those moments you can actually rejoice because you have hope. It enables you to be patient. To be impatient with trial, not just as a church, not just individually, but as a church too. And imagine if this was a whole community living this out. Can you imagine if this is us living this out, continuing to live this out? What it does, it actually moves and compels unity within the body of Christ. Imagine that being a witness to the world that's watching. A world that is crying, Where is the love? Where is the love? And they start seeing this displayed. I mean, have you ever wondered, your Christian friends who don't know Jesus, and they look at you, and you are just being diagnosed with some terminal illness, and they're wondering, how are you getting through this? And they see that, oh, well, my church family have been helping me with the meals. My church family are loving me. They're caring for me. And they see this witness growing, and they ask themselves, how can you rejoice as well? And you say, well, I have hope. This is not just my life. There's life beyond. And that it bears witness to the world that is watching. And then Paul continues. As his genuine love, it now then looks to meet the needs of those who are in the house. That is, the saints. It begins with the saints. And then he goes to seek, to show hospitality. He begins to say to them, hey, as this genuine love is being shaped, as you hate evil, as you hang on to what is good, as you love one another, as you honor one another, as you're not lazy about this, that you're really driven with a passion with, by the power of the Spirit to serve God. And as trial and tribulation comes in your church and individually and as a community, you rejoice because God has got this. You come to this point where he says, contribute to the needs of the saints to seek and show hospitality. So it should be now costing you in some sense. Your time, your talents. Even in the context here, I think he's talking specifically about material needs. And then he says, "Show hospitality to the strangers." Now, when we read that word hospitality, we automatically think, "Yes, uh, it's a meal to must be uh, particularly about my church friends." No, see, when he talks about hospitality, particularly in this context, he's actually talking about much more than just feeding their belly. Yes, meals are great. I think Christians are known for all the potluck lunches. What he's talking about here is this united love, genuine love flowing out is now shown practically to a world that's crying out, you're being hospitable. You're being hospitable to those who do are strangers, who do not know Jesus. And with that in mind, he jumps into building the next layer from verses 14 onwards. And he begins with these radical words. Now, I want you to think, this is a church that is under Roman occupation. It won't be long before Christians, if not already, are going to get martyred for their faith. One of the emperors was known for grabbing Christians, lighting them, putting tar on them, and lighting them up as part of his time when he had guests over as they burnt alive. And he says these words: "Bless those who persecute you; bless and do not curse them." This is not just like a "oh, bless your heart." That's really nice. This is radical, upside-down thinking. This is not the kind of um, just bless kind of language, Christian kind of jargon. What this is like saying is, if you want to kind of put it in our day-in term, it's this is the rubber hits the road moment. This is the the rubber-hits-the-road moment. It would be like if you were at work or wherever you are, and maybe you're in your lunchroom. And in your lunchroom, um, or maybe your classmates, notice that there's one guy who's totally, absolutely always bagging you out because you're a follower of Jesus. Constantly, continuously, making fun of you. And they know that. And in that moment, you have a couple opportunities. One, turn around and say, right. I'm going to give them a go. This is not fair. This is not right. So this language here of bless those who persecute you is to say, don't speak ill about them. Speak well of them. In that moment, it's like saying, I have the temptation to actually really give them a go, but I'm going to bite my lip because God commands me to bless those who persecute. And in that moment, we say, nope, I'm not going to get involved in this gossip. not going to get involved in fighting back and say, hey, that's okay. And I think this is very hard for us as Australians. I don't know if it's the convict heritage that we have or not, but we are battlers. We have this sort of fighting spirit. Someone gives us a go, we have a bit of a, let's get back at them. It's part of our culture and this idea of blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. But friends, do you understand when a Christian community does that, what a great witness that is? To a world that is constantly backbiting, fighting, gossiping against one another. A world that is crying, Where is the love? And there's this Christian community that says, I'm not going to respond as you want me to respond. I'm going to respond as Jesus tells me to respond. Because my Savior did the same. My Savior was the one hanging on the cross who says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. When He had every right and every call, call the angels and the armies of the Lord to come and wipe everyone out. See, as Christians, we are meant to look to our Savior who lived this out. Friends, we are a mixed up bunch in this Christian community. Both here in our world, in Australia, but also here at Camry Gardens. But because of what Christ has done on us, because of this genuine love, now it's being displayed out, we are called to respond in a particular way. And this is now pushed further. Paul says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And then he says, Rejoice with those who weep. Uh, rejoice, weep with those with those who weep. Now, it's easy for us to go, Oh, yes, I'm going to rejoice with my Christian friends who rejoice. I'm going to weep with those who are, who are weeping, who, who, don't, uh, who, do don't, who do know Jesus. That's not what Paul's getting at. In that verse, he's talking about once again people who do not know God, the ones who are persecuting you. This is like saying, yes, we rejoice and we see those terrible images of brothers and sisters in Christ in persecuted countries who are dying for their faith. We weep with them, but we also weep with those who are not Christians who are losing their homes. We don't just choose. Because of the genuine love that is in us, we are called to respond in a particular way, in a way that displays the gospel that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And then it continues to further to say, to live in harmony. Harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. This is, um, um, if you want to put it in summary, this is really, once again, um, thinking of being a humble person. You're not there to find fighting terms. You're there to bring the peace of Jesus in that moment. It's saying, don't be arrogant. Associate, be humble with those who are lowly." My friends, can you imagine if this is what is shaping a Christian community? Can you imagine if a Christian community is united around these truths and living this out, both here in Kilsyth and beyond? It will be a ripple effect. And I think in our day and age, uh, one of the great things about um, YouTube and things like that is that we get to see live testimonies of people who are right there in this. A few, mile, a few years ago and now I think, we saw those um, confronting image of those Egyptian Christians taken onto a beach and martyred for their faith. And then there was the uh, fallout from that. The world is watching, the world is trying to figure out what is going on here. And then Mainstream media won't show you this, but there are other media outlets like Christian Egyptian media outlets who will show you this. There's a Christian Egyptian outlet. They interviewed one of the brothers whose brother was martyred for the faith. And he asked the question, are you you bitter? Are you angry to these people? And he said, how can I be angry? Maybe I was a bit emotional at first, but now I cannot be angry because they don't have the love of God in them. They do not have the love of God in them. And then they asked the question, so what would you, what would you do if one of these um, guys were walking down your street? He you said, it's funny that you asked that question. I was just talking to my mother about this the other day. And this is what my mother said. If I saw one of those ISIS guys who killed my son walking down our street, and I saw him, my first reaction would be of anger. Then I am reminded of the love that Jesus has given me. They don't know. They don't know the love of God. And you know what I would do? I would invite them into my house. I would prepare a meal for them. I would sit down and feed them. I would show them the love of Christ in me. Friends, this is what it looks like. You and I are not in that season at this stage in our country. But whether we are not, there are people in your circles now, at work, your family members, Who are totally against you because you believe in Jesus how you respond to them will be a greater witness both to them and the people around watching because what they will see is the genuine love of Christ when the rubber hits the road and with that in light Paul says to them hey repay no one evil for evil but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you're heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is now giving them a picture of what is to come. Remember how in the first few verses of the hope? For those of us who know Jesus, we have hope. But there's also reality for those who do not know Jesus. There is a day coming. The king of kings, Jesus is not going longer, returning on some sort of donkey. He's coming on a white horse as the reigning king who rules, and there will be judgment. And the wrath of God will come, and it will be a terrible day. But we don't live a life sort of based on, oh, I'm just going to wait till God gets you. No, we lovingly show them, we care for them as we do that. We need to leave God's judgment to him and saying, God, it's up to you. It's not my role to do this. And friends, this is the life we're called to as followers of Jesus. Well, not just individually, but people united around this to show this love both to one another, this genuine love to one another, but also to the world around us. So question, as you look at this, how's that going? Maybe you have done a scorecard. How's the scorecard? Friends, if if a genuine love is shaping us as a church, it cultivates deep unity. And this is how we need to continue to grow. I'm just going to finish with this story. A while back, a student life, I used to work in the ministry. And this girl who did not know Jesus came along. And this girl came along and she turned around and said, I asked her the question, hey, do you know God? What do you think about all this stuff? And she said, Shabu, I cannot stand the Christian faith. You guys are terrible. I cannot stand it, but I must say something to you. I said, what's that? the genuine community here is unbelievable. I have never seen a community that loves and cares for each other, and I want that. At this day, she, this girl gave her life to Christ, and she's walking with the Lord, and she's growing in the Lord. Friends, you never know what the witness will be when we live in genuine love with one another. I'm going to pray. Sorry that it's gone a bit over time. I'm going to uh, ask the music team just to stay for a minute, because I'm actually just going to pray, and I want us to use this time to ask these questions. If you could close your eyes with me. Father God, we ask that you would help us as a church to be a church that continues to grow to be genuine in love. Father, please forgive us for the times that we've let evil win where we have not loved one another as we ought to. And maybe even this morning, there are some of us sitting here who are not loving each other as we ought to. Grant us grace to do that this morning. Help us to see forgiveness where it needs to be seeked. Lord, enable us to be a church that continues to be salt and light. Help us to bless bless those who persecute us And help us to show the love of Christ that is in us so that people may come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.